Well, it's the same verse, second verse is same as the first, but I don't think we want to sing that song this time. Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. Uh, this is your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principal Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaelis. Hey, Barry. It's, it is great to be back with you. Uh, it is. It's I, good see, to be I, here. I primed people. Uh, my The last show that we did, or I did, kind of primed people not to necessarily expect you to come back. And here you well, are. Here well, you we'll are. see. We will see. As everybody knows, Chuck, I am battling late stage bone cancer. Uh, and God has been showing himself mighty and merciful and, and fit to provide for all my needs, both here and in glory. And I'm very appreciative of it. But he's decided to let me tarry a little bit longer, it seems. And um, through, you know, his ministrations, through the gift of hospice, which I can't say enough about hospice care, uh, Chuck. They're fan- they're fantastic. Uh, we've got so many good people that are, are you know, doing and, and providing and helping us. It's just incredible. But I, I have good days and I have bad days, as, as is want. Everybody has their good days and their bad days. But every day is a gift from the Lord, and, you know, we're taking it as such. And uh, some days I am really ready to go and ripping and raring and want to record with you and and talk about everything that's going on in the world and laugh about it and uh, try to see God's uh, you know pleasure in the whole thing. And then there are some days that I just don't want to get out of bed. Well, and I can't because, you know, I'm You're part of my yeah. Not, part. Yeah. Well, folks, just I don't know how much Chuck told you, but part of my cancer is that I now no longer have any feeling below my waist. So I'm paralyzed. It's OK, because God's using it to keep me in place so he can teach me some really, really good lessons. And that's, oh, good, that's always good. You know, uh, God always uses the uh, adversity uh, to for both his purposes and your benefit. And for our benefit. Absolutely. And, you know, and my family, we've, we've had a lot of time to move into this idea. And it's really helping us come together closer, come together spiritually with God closer, uh, learn more about, you know, ourselves and, you know, where we need to repent, improve, um, you know, seek out God. And, you know, my key through all this is trust God. You know, he is the I am. He isn't the I might. He isn't the I could. <laughs> he isn't the I, I, I if, if everything, if all the circumstances work out, I might be able to. He is the I am and he's doing it. And so, you know, it's really increased our our trust in God and our, our faith in his providence and the fact that he's sovereign over everything, which is another reason why when you and I do these type of programs and we look at politics and we look at the mess that the world is in and we look at the confusion and the um, Romans one thinking turned upside down by a lot of people, you, you don't get despondent. You don't get despairing and, you know, say, Oh, Satan's one. And, you know, it's all over with and Christianity's dead and God, you know, God's dead and Christ is impotent. You, you look and say, okay, he's setting it up for his magnificence to come through. Where's it coming? And, and so, yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. It, it really is. Uh, it is. How do we, how do we understand God's providence? That's, that's the real question. You know, one of the things that I did while you were out, 
and and not able to come in and we hadn't worked it all out yet was I taught so far three parts to that God government and governance. And well, a big, big hunk of that is, let's face it, it's providence. Yeah, God, it is. God has provided these things for our good and for our advancement and for our protection. Um, it's when we let them get out of our out of hand, we elect the wrong people, or we have people who who uh, fool us into uh, um, accepting them as leaders, um, and then we find ourselves uh, manipulated by the people behind them and those kinds of things. Nonetheless, the offices are God's provision for us. The The people who are in the jobs are provided by God, but sometimes they're provided as a punishment or as, a, ju as a judgment. I mean, look, look, let's face it. We are in a judgment right now and have been for a number of years. I mean, decades, decades. Yeah, I was going to say this isn't just the Biden administration. It's it's been it's been decades. What most people refer to as the Civil War was a judgment. Um, I, yes, I, yes, it was. I prefer the war between the states. And I know, oh, he's a neo-Confederate. No, I'm not. <laughs> no. Wrong. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I jokingly don't call it the war of northern aggression anymore because everybody was aggressive. Everybody was aggressive, yeah. Everybody was aggressive. So it's like, whatever. Everybody invaded everybody. Um, That's true. Um, although I, you could argue that uh, Lee's both Lee's attempts at a northern invasion were defensive maneuvers. Uh, yeah, one could argue, but yeah, we'll we'll skip that part of history I was for right now. Say, th this is gonna <laughs> take us into a into a uh, uh, a discussion that would a lose us people listening to the show, <laughs> and b would take us so long we'd have to spread it out over three or four you know, four hours and not really touch on it. So, well, I, you know, I, I, when you mentioned that just a minute ago, I was going to say, well, let me apologize to all the folks who are listening today, hoping they would get part four of the God and government series. And they ended <laughs> up with me. So. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I'm trying to think, did I do, ah, I, I started to record another show where I just did what we do. Um, right. mm -hmm. it's not as fun without you. Let, let's just put it that way. Cause we, we can't laugh. I can laugh, and sometimes people are like, "What's that hyena laughing about?" Um, because they don't get the the uh, the banter that you and I do on these issues. So, but uh, yeah, um, I do have part four sitting here, um, waiting for me to uh, to record. Um, but I also need to, uh, you know, I was going to have. Uh, oh, I've got a couple of guests in mind. Uh, for instance, I'll, mm -hmm. probably, I'll probably get Robert Owens to come in and talk about this uh, impending attempt, yet another attempt to get a uh, convention, a constitutional convention called uh, Don't Fall in the Trap that it's a convention of states. It's not the same as a constitutional convention. Um, well, that's funny because when I'm looking at the Constitution, I don't see a differential. Oh, that there is no such thing as a convention of states. In the, that's in exactly why I don't see a differential. There is none. Right. Uh, you can, uh, as I've said in the past, and will continue to say, and I'll testify to this when I get to the to the uh, body to testify against uh, the the uh, joint resolution. 
Um, you can call it Uncle Sam's Barbecue and Constitutional Hoedown, and it doesn't change what it is. It's a plenipotentiary constitutional convention. Now, what I don't want to go off on this, but you know, I've been noticing that what the Convention of States group, Mark Meckler's group, who, by the way, is seems to be making enemies right and left. He he's making friends in the political community, and he's doing it by handing out money willy nilly. So uh, he's an access lobbyist. He's an access lobbyist, unlike you, who is an influence lobbyist. Um, no, what 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 they're sa- claiming is now. Yeah, and always in the past, they've been uh, all about a specific constitutional convention. Uh, balanced budget amendment. There was another Ter- one. Term limits. Term limits. Yeah. Now, all they're claiming all they want to do is come together and uh, um, get some ideas about, about, you know, suggest some possibilities what Congress might want to look at. Uh, in terms of, you know, oh, we don't, we don't want to be a, uh, you know, a constitutional convention. That's a bad thing. This is, this is Meckler talking. Uh, that's a bad thing. And we agree that that would be bad. A plenipotentiary. No, no, we want this constitution of states. Now, one of the things they used to try to use until we exposed, uh, the fallacy that they were using here, they wanted to use the, uh, conference convention of 1861 as the model as a as one of the one of those conventions in which there was this you know this constitutional convention and nothing came of it right well the whole point is and i've made this point over and over and over again and finally people listen to it i said look go out to amazon and pay the eight bucks and buy the book that has the proceedings of the of the uh uh, conference convention of 1861 in it and the every speaker that comes to the podium says we know this is not an article 5 convention right right so exactly what meckler wants to actually call what he's claiming he he doesn't require congressional action at all it requires the states to want to get together and talk about what should we suggest to the federal government for for amendments. That's exactly what the conference convention of 1861 did. Yep. People got, you know, people from appointed as, uh, as delegates or representatives who had no authority whatsoever to make any changes at all to the constitution got together and discussed ad nauseum ad infinitum, by the way, uh, potential, um, amendments to the constitution which they then sent on to congress and by the time they sent it to congress uh south carolina had already fired on fort sumter so where, yeah. did, it, where did it all go uh nowhere um because that that you know that attack came in on april 12th um 1861 and so Meckler is doing what Meckler does best. Uh, he's blowing smoke when he should be trying to clarify the air. Um, and that's the kind of thing we run into. Uh, these people are rampant, not just in government, but in quasi-government and in people who are trying to influence the government. They just lie. 
no problem. I, you know, uh, who are you going to trust, me or your lying eyes? Yeah, exactly. And, and essentially, uh, trust my money. Yep. Is what Mark Meckler is. You know, trust trust the, my money that I've given to uh, um, to these uh, um, these representatives because uh, they put huge amounts of money in these guys re in uh, their reelection funds. Um, okay. Again, he he's an access lobbyist, not a, an influence lobbyist. Nope. Um. So I kind of got off got off on a tangent, but I was going. I want to call Robert no. Owens, uh, who, um, who I'm working with, and you've worked with. Oh yeah. And uh, uh, we we will work to stop this thing. Now he's given me some suggestions that I don't necessarily, you know, I I like going in and saying, look, uh. One of the chief things I've I've always found that really kind of puts the damper on the thing is like we've tried six of these. There have been six of these in in Anglo American history, modern Anglo American history. There were others before this. Sure. And I said every one of the six, every single one of those six led to a fundamental change in the form of government. And I can indeed, name, uh, indeed no it does. Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. One of them was one of them was the. Uh, a Confederate convention of 1861. And yes. I, I always put in the notes and said, well, obviously this does not, did not lead to a, uh, a successful constitutional settlement. <laughs> no, not at all. No. It, and, it, and as a matter of fact, if folks want to get it, we have some materials on our website at principalpolicy.com, uh, booklets that Chuck and I have put together. Re I mean, he did most of the research. I'm not going to take credit for it. I just wrote some flowery language, but where we, go into the history of those various conventions. We go into the calls that the, each of the colonies made for the 1787. And we basically laid out where Meckler and company and all of the permutations of what COS is have been basically obfuscating and lying through their teeth about for the last 12 years. And those, those booklets are available. I think there, there's a, uh, hyperlink to some of them on, on the, our sidebar uh, that people can find and they can they can take a look at some of the scholarship that you've been putting out on this. Well, I appreciate that. My, my scholarship, of course, they always question my scholarship. That's fine. Uh, I'm an amateur historian. I'm not a professional. And, I, and seeing the work that the professional historians are doing on this subject, I'm glad to be an amateur. You're glad to be an amateur. That's right. Yeah, because uh, and from from my perspective, <laughs> as an amateur historian, that that means I read a lot of stuff that I'm not supposed to read. Right. You get hold of you get access to stuff that they're like, well, you shouldn't have read that. That you shouldn't that, have read that. That, and, that that defeats our purpose. Yeah, I, I I watch a guy on YouTube, and the name of his channel is Tick History. T I K History. Okay. And Barry, I'd look him up if I were you. He does a lot of stuff. His his main focus is on World War II. And he does a lot of stuff on the Nazi party, how it came about. He did a, a four-hour long series of videos on, on, and you'll be familiar with this argument, why Hitler really was a socialist. Because Hilarious. if you talk to people, if you talk to an average, his, oh, Hitler was not really a socialist. He was a capitalist. Uh, uh, no, he was a socialist. Not hardly. 
uh, when when the Nazi Party goes in and takes over both the company and the union working in the company, right? Guess what? And interestingly enough, um, he gives a he gives a, a he gave a half hour lecture on why how to understand what fascism is, Italian fascism. And essentially what it is, is quote unquote, anarcho syndicalism. And well, that's people, a mouthful. Yeah. Now what does that mean? It means that the idea was that, uh, labor unions would rule that all the power would grow out of labor unions. Well, what a surprise. Yeah, and who would control? Who would be in control at the top of the labor unions? Well, the government, of course. The fascist, yeah, the fascist dictatorship. Uh, um, it, yes, is it different from from so in Soviet Union? There are no unions. Um, uh, they'll argue they don't need them now. Of course, there's no Soviet Union anymore. Um, but uh, um. It's a, it's a, it's basically essentially being a socialist out of your left hand pocket, or out of my left hand pocket, rather than out of my right hand pocket. Yes. So, um, but that has taught me uh, once again to find the stuff you're not supposed to read. Yes. Um, I, you're, uh, they want you to read all these big names. Um, Doris Kearns Goodwin. And, oh my gosh! Stay away from yeah. Doris Kearns Goodwin. Doris Kearns Goodwin has been accused of plagiarism at least twice. Yeah. Um, had to pull books back and yeah, and da- David McCull- David McCullough and all those David other, McCullough, yeah. who by the way does did write. He's dead now. Uh, he did write yes. wonderful books. Um, but what it was hagiography. Um, the one that gets me is everybody loved Ron Chernow's, um, Hamilton, Hamilton, the yes. book on Al- Alexander Hamilton. Well, I read the thing and I go, well, my gosh, uh, the apotheosis of, of Alexander Hamilton, sort of like if, if you go in the Capitol, right, what's, what's painted on uh, the United States Capitol, what's painted on the dome, what's the big giant painting on the dome of the Capitol. Oh, my brain just shut down. I can't remember. The apotheosis of George Washington. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Where George Washington is carried by the angels in a uh, in a sort of a uh, this sheet. He's carried up to heaven to yes, that's right. Re, you know, receive his reward by by these. And I'm like, wow. If you don't think there's a civil, there's not a civil American religion right there. It is, baby. Yeah, you're missing it. Yeah. Um, And so I said the apotheosis of Alexander Hamilton. Now, I have to kind of get a laugh out of this. What's the play Hamilton based on? Ron Chernow's. Ron Chernow's book, yeah. Alexander Hamilton. And you can tell. Now, I kind of laugh that what they do, they, they did this rug pull where all the people who, uh, are the actors in that show are African American, right? Right. They're they're black. Um and and believe it or not, you can go to millennials and ask uh ask what race Alexander Hamilton was who've seen the play. Yeah. Oh, he was black. No, he was Scottish. 
he was Scottish. Yeah. Now he came from uh, Nevis and St. Kitts. Uh, he, he, he spent a lot of, he did his formative years in Nevis and St. Kitts, which is in the Caribbean. Right. And what, what he learned by the time he was 12 years old, he was running a shipping <laughs> company. So the guy's not stupid. He was a genius. That's true. But he was one of those people that was fighting tooth and toenail to eliminate the states as as uh, independent entities in confederation and make it into a unified country. And what he wanted was an elected king. Exactly. He wanted a monarchy, and he also wanted a, a he wanted it to be an administrative state. He didn't really want the independent laboratories of freedom. He wanted it all centralized under one managerial state. Yeah, he basically wanted to turn the states into administrative districts, which essentially right now, sad to say, is largely, not completely, but largely what they have become. Right. And they kind of like it. Why? Because they, uh, the federal government gives them a mandate that violates the U.S. Constitution. Yes. They don't want to do it, but they say, you know, we can't implement this without money. And they just wait for the dollars to rain down on their heads from the federal government. When, in fact, what should be happening, and, and uh, Barry, you and I have been involved in uh, uh, legislation or trying to get legislation passed to do this. What should be happening is the states, and this is the way it was before the income tax, mm-hmm. before 1917, this is the way this worked. The federal government would send a requisition to each of the states based on, on a per capita, per head, uh, and say, we need this much money from you. And the states were free to say, well, guess what? You ain't getting that much. We'll give you this much, but that's all, that's all you're, that's all all you're, you're get. getting. Yeah. Um, and uh, what, that, what did that do? Well, that kept things from happening like quote like America having a standing army. Uh well, are you against the military? No, I think the the military is absolutely necessary for the defense of the nation, but when the military starts being used as a policy arm uh of the state department and the intelligence agencies, something is wrong and what's wrong Some, is something stinking in Denmark, it's yeah. right. And uh, believe me, that's look, the CIA and the Defense Department, and uh, um, a, a number of uh, deep staters, and I, you may not like that term too bad. I'm using it. Not you. I mean the audience. I was going to say, I don't mind it at all. <laughs> the fact is that they are attempting to gin up uh, reasons why we need to intervene in the Ukraine-Russia war. Yeah. Like our our interventions have been such a success in the past. And in fact, I was I, I my wife and I were discussing some issues that your church and my church are having. I'm not at liberty yet to discuss that. Yeah, we won't we won't bring that out yet. Not so. yet. Uh, there's some action going on. Uh, if you paying attention to your emails, <laughs> I am. I have been paying attention. Yes. Yeah. Um. I have an update for that one when, when we're off the air. Um, but the fact is that, uh, um, they're doing their best to gin up situations and to get us involved for quote unquote humanitarian efforts. Mm-hmm, exactly. 
this is how we always get our neck in the noose. Yes. Humanitarian efforts. Uh, what you know? We assume. What do you assume when you hear a humanitarian effort? Effort. Refugees. Well, refugees aid to those who are uh, having to flee. Civilians. Zone, civilians. Yes. Um, you know, uh, um, helping rebuild uh, damaged infrastructure. Blah blah blah. Is right. that what the CIA and the and the State Department and uh. Any one of these groups, uh, the Department of Defense, is that what they're talking about? Well, no. no. When they say humanitarian aid, they mean regime change efforts. Regime change efforts and direct military aid, because after all, all the men are uh, eligible for conscription. Right. Therefore, the humanitarian aid is to aid those men to defend their country against the Russians. Um. Who I'll I'll be the first right up front to tell you are there Russian tanks on what's currently Ukrainian territory? Yeah, I would say yes, of course, oh, of course. There's there's more than just tanks. There's men and artillery and weapons. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> did Russia start it? And the answer to that is no. No, it doesn't seem that way at all. Except what are we told nightly? When it comes up, or every the, Russian, the Russian war of aggression, yes, the war, Russian war of aggression, For, forgetting the fact that the Ukrainians, uh, and this has not been purged. You can go, and they don't expect anybody to go back and read it. And again, folks, read the stuff you're not supposed to read. Yeah, absolutely, go back and read the stuff you're not supposed to read. Because I went back and did the research, and I'm like, it seems like the Ukrainians were shelling their own people in eastern Ukraine. Uh, for a couple of weeks before the Russians said, "Okay, that's enough." And why were they doing that? Well, there was there are separatist groups in those areas that are ethnic Russians. They speak Russian. They don't speak Ukrainian. And by the way, those are two different languages. They're very, very, very similar. It's almost it's almost like um the difference between English in the U.S. Yep, and English in Britain. It's one of those kinds of deals where it's dialectical mostly, mm-hmm. uh, but I can look, I, I studied Russian in college and I okay. could look at a book in Ukrainian. Now I, I was not a grandmaster. <laughs> I got A's and such, but ask me uh, 33 years later of how much Russian I remember. I can ask you where the bathroom is. Um, all that important stuff. Um, that is important. Yes. What's your name? How are you? You know, uh, I can tell you, you have a beautiful rabbit. What's your name? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Yeah. yeah. Is, uh, you have a beautiful rabbit. Uh, what you said is, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Hilarious. In any case, I can look at a, at a book in Ukrainian and I can pick the difference out because the alphabet is just slightly different. Yeah. And I'm like, I remember you and I were down in Dallas, Texas. We were at the, uh, we were at the, the mo- half price books mothership, the mothership, the the original half price books in Dallas, yeah, which was a converted Kmart. Yeah, it was. It that, was. They, a I mean, big Kmart. They had they had a restaurant in there. They had a live sound stage. They had everything. They had the whole thing going on, and uh, I I went through the foreign language section thinking maybe I'd bone up back up on my Russian, and I picked up a book and I'm thumbing through it, and I go, this is not Russian. 
And then I looked and I said, oh, the copyright's in Kiev. Yeah, it's Ukrainian. It's Ukrainian. That's why I don't recognize some of these words. Um, so that being said, uh, here's the deal with the Russians in the Ukraines. And don't get fooled by anything else. Russians and Ukrainians have been at each other's throats, mostly Ukrainians hating the Russians, for hundreds of years. Well, yes, yes. Now, the, the Crimean War. Uh, be, oh, well before that. Well before that, but I mean, well before that. I mean, remember, even if you only want to go back just to the Crimean War, I mean, you know, you're going back a hundred years. So Crimea was never part of Ukraine ever. Ever, yeah. Uh, until 1954, and we've we've talked about that before. Uh, the the whole uh, um, it was handed by Nikita Khrushchev handed it to Ukraine as an administrative area, and said, "Here, you watch this for us," because they were a member of the Soviet Union, which means, you know, the the uh, uh, being a member of the Soviet Union means you m maintained your cultural. Uh, borders and that kind of stuff. Yep. But you were uh, beholden to Moscow. Right. That's Flat true. Out. Flat out. That there, I forget how many Russians, uh, how many Soviet <coughs> republics there were. I think it was like 10, uh, maybe more. Um, places like Azerbaijan and uh, Georgia and um, uh, Ar uh, Armenia. Those kinds right. of places were all Soviet social republics. They they maintained cultural differences, but they were beholden to Moscow, which means they were basically a vassal state. Mm -hmm, that's true. If uh, if Russia told them to, uh, um, you know, to burp, they said, "Well, how long?" And um, uh, and, and what tenor do you want to come exactly, out? Like? What tone do you want? Um, what tenor and tone? That's right. The Ukrainians resented. Russian control, they were under the czars. And, and the reason that basically uh, Ukraine came under the czars, it had been a, a, a part of the whole Slavic, uh, Slavic Brotherhood, if you will. Yep. Uh, with Russia being aggressive uh, to them, they wanted the territory. But remember that, first of all, a lot of that territory was under the Mongols. Then it became Russian. Uh, under Russian control, Ukraine eventually fell into the hands of the Turks, the Ottoman Turks. And yep, Russia, that's true. Russia was instrumental in taking Ukraine out of the hands of, of the Turks. And that's how Russia got Crimea. They took it away from Turkey. This is why in modern day, despite what you're being told, yeah, I, I know uh, I've known people who've done the work. You're being told that uh, Crimeans want to go back to to uh, to Russia or to uh, Ukraine. Oh no, they do not. They call themselves Russian. They speak Russian, not Ukrainian. Culturally, they're Russians and have been for three hundred years. And they want to be a part of Russia. Therefore, uh, and uh, and this being said. Uh, Ukraine has been losing that part of the propaganda war, and they've already dropped uh, the return of, of Ukraine. Uh, they're very close to completely dropping the return of, of uh, Crimea to Ukraine as part of their uh, um, as part of their demands. To okay.
to end the war. Um, Russia says that's a good thing because we're not giving it back. Um, that's the closest thing they have to a warm water port in Sevastopol, which is which is at the tip of Crimea. And uh, um, that's their entrance in and out of the Mediterranean. Uh, if you don't get that picture, look up a map. Get a map. Um, but the Ukrainians, the, those Western or Eastern Ukrainian provinces, Western Russia, uh, those people want to withdraw as well and go with Russia. Well, um, what do you do about that? You know, one of the things, one of the things we learned, uh, Barry, do you remember at the end, have you ever read anything about the Treaty of Versailles and how, how all the other treaties that ended World War I? Yeah, yeah, I've read some of it, yeah. What was one of Wilson's 14 points that everybody kept pointing to and saying, this is what we should implement? Now, that's a good question. I don't know. Self-determination. Okay, okay. Self-determination was one of the key things. What does that mean? That means the people of an area get to determine whether they want to be part of the old Austrian Empire, which collapsed at the end of World War One. Austrian right. Empire, German Empire, which collapsed at the end of World War One. Um, who they wanted to go with, or if they wanted to be independent. After, exactly. Um, now, what? Uh, it sounds like a really great idea. What happened after the end of World War One? There were a whole bunch of wars. People don't know this. The, oh the yeah, end all wars didn't. Um, there were there were uh, countries that went around reconquering territory that they'h held, you know, since uh, uh, way back in the eight hundreds, uh, that kind of thing. Um, Romania, um, Hungary, uh, all these countries that had been under the boot, uh, Bulgaria that had been under the boot of the Turks, and of the uh, Austrians and the Russians kind of said, no, we want that territory. We want that territory, blah, 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 blah. You know, Czechoslovakia had, uh, uh, which doesn't exist anymore. It's a Czech, um, Czech Republic and the S Slovakian Republic. Uh, now, uh, wh why did they break up? They were a country for, uh, you know, from the end of world war one until, uh, Germany, and then they went back to being their own country. Germany took them over in, in 1938. Uh, what happened? Well, they didn't like each other. <laughs> two different cultures, two different peoples that came together to, to uh, <clears throat> and essentially the Czechs were the intellects and the Slovaks were the were the farmers. And That's true. The, the Slovaks said, yeah, we're done with you. We're, we're out of here. And uh, But that kind of thing was going on all over the place throughout the early 1920s, late 19-teens uh, and the early 1920s. And when it all shook out, Russia also was also having a civil war because they'd had a, what? They had a revolution in 1917. Mm -hmm. And a lot of countries that had been under Russian control pulled out. Right. They quit. That's right. They they said, we're, we were done with the empire. We're done. Well, Russia said, uh, the, the, uh, shall we say Soviet Russia at that point said, no, no, you're not done. You, you really need to come back in here. And they tried to reconquer. They did reconquer a lot of territory. Uh, they tried to reconquer Poland. 
And the Poles said, no, thank you, and threw them off. If you've ever heard the term, the miracle of the Vistula. The Vistula is the river just outside of uh, Warsaw. Okay. The miracle of the Vistula. They, they held the Russians and drove them back. So the Russians gave up on Poland. But they did go in and retake the Ukraine and, and those places. Well, in World War II, how did the Ukrainians pay back the Russians? When the Germans invaded and came through Ukraine, the Ukrainians viewed the, the Germans as liberators. Okay. And flocked to them and joined into the into the army and joined up to uh, go uh, kill off the Russians. That is not what most people would believe, but no, yes. Most people wouldn't believe that, uh, but these are facts. And it's a longstanding hatred. And in fact, what one of the things that people really don't want to talk about is the fact that uh, neo-Nazis, anti-Semites, uh, have had a stranglehold on Ukraine and continue to. Uh, there's a lot of anti-Semitic activity uh, in, in the Ukraine. Um, and people don't want to talk about that. I'm not sure how I got on this. We we started out talking about the Constitution. We end up in the... well. Well, we're going to get back around to that because, you know, like I said, uh, second verse same as the first. And what I was talking about, Chuck, was the idea that well, just this week, uh, before we went to air yesterday, yeah, well, we're recording this in the middle of the week. That um, it's now pretty much official that uh, the current sitting occupant in the White House, Joe Biden has made a formal announcement that he is running again for president of the United States. And nothing changes because he's running with Kamala Harris as his running mate. Um, so therefore, nothing's changing there except for the fact that uh, when he made his announcement and gave his speech, one of the things that he said in the announcement was that he's there to finish the job. Now, folks, I don't know it, what you think his job approval rating has been, but from a, well, I can't even say objective viewpoint because I'm not objective. Let me just be honest. Um, the, his, jo his job is, uh, is pretty bad. It's been pretty bad. Um, you know, you look at our economy, you look at our uh, way of living, you look at inflation, you look at uh, the cost of goods and services, you look at our price of food, price of fuel, uh, unemployment rates, you look at everything. They have all taken a nosedive or like climbed like crazy inflation out of control. And he thinks he's doing a great job and he just wants to get in there and finish the job. It's like, I'm afraid we won't have a country if he finishes the job. Um, and of course, I'm not alone in that. Uh, various polling has just come out basically saying that less than 50 percent of Democrats want Joe Biden to be running or taking the presidency after the 2024 election, 70% uh, of the country believe that he's going the wrong direction. Um, and his, his, his strong base is like 24%, Chuck. Now, is, as a sitting incumbent president, if your reelection base is only 24% of the, of the electorate, you're going to have some trouble. Now, he's going to get help. Why is, where's he going to get help at? He's going to get help from the same places that everybody else gets help from his own party. The Democrat national committee has already indicated that they will not allow any presidential debates to take place. 
on the Democrat side during uh-huh. this during this election. Now, why is that important? Because Joe Biden already has a challenger. Yep. As a matter of fact, he's probably got two, but one of them is not going to announce right now. And the one who's not announcing is Gavin Newsom, who's the governor of California. But everybody fully expects that he probably will at some point, maybe later on in the summer or fall. Um, which would be stupid because as you look at the state of California and the mess they're in, I, you know, it would be like, well, what's the real big difference besides age between you and Biden? You know, your policies all stink. Um, you know, you are forcing socialism and totalitarianism on the people of California and you want to do it to the rest of the country. Uh, but, the, but the Democrat party doesn't have a bench. Okay. I was talking with some political friends of mine the other day who stopped in here. Gee, I think you're one of them, as a matter that of fact, be, Chuck, yeah. along with a couple of state reps. Uh, and we were talking about this whole idea that the Democrat Party doesn't have a bench. They don't have any depth. Uh, what they do have, though, and what they would hope to get rid of very quickly, is that not this week, but two weeks ago, before Joe Biden announced his reelection, another Democrat put his hat in the ring and announced that he is going to run for the Democratic nomination for President of the United States. Now, this name is going to be familiar. Whether you know a lot about this person or not, you know the name. The name is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Bobby Kennedy's son. Now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Chuck, is somebody who I've met and I've got come to know a little bit. He is an attorney. He and and he's an activist for health freedom. He has been fighting uh, big pharma and all of the manufacturers of all the drugs uh, that have harmed and killed people throughout the years. And he is very successful at what he does. He has won major cases that most people don't even know about. You know, when you see these settlements that these pharmaceutical companies, some of them have to do. Somewhere down the line, Bobby Kennedy has been involved in the in the lawsuits. He, he announced, and immediately the Democrats pounced. Um, you know, because oh, he's an anti-vaxer and he's a he's a he's a wild man and he's out there and he's extreme. Well, I'm not going to say that you know Bobby Kennedy is a uh, conservative Christian. <laughs> yeah, he's first. Not- He's not First, a screaming, screaming Christian conservative by any stretch of the imagination. By any stretch of the imagination, he is a Democrat. Okay, he's he's pro, pro-choice. You know, he's he's soft on a lot of things, but when it comes to issues of personal freedom and personal integrity and the overweening totalitarianism of governments telling you what you can and can't do, he is going to be standing up and screaming at the at the top of his lungs against it. Okay, this is going to make for a very interesting Democrat primary because the Democrat Party doesn't want this. They do not want to highlight that basically Joe Biden is a uh, a dementia patient and that Kamala Harris is an empty suit. And anybody who comes up with actual any kind of logical argument can take these two out without even breaking a sweat. So what have they decided to do? They've decided to say that there will be no no debates in the Democrat primary. Now, that's interesting, Chuck, because I'm not sure that the DNC can pull that off. I think what they're going to end up doing is they're going to create a bigger rift even in their own base. What they'll probably do is create a situation 
where the rivals to Biden are invited by big by big players uh, to have debate and say, well, we invited him, but he won't come. And the reason that, look, the DNC knows that their candidate basically can't debate his way out of a wet paper bag. Yep. Um, he He's essentially, uh, as a, a John Lofton and you and I laughed about one night, I forget who we were talking about, he was non-compass mentis. And John thought, mm-hmm. he says, I forgot about that term. Yeah, <laughs> not, not, fit, not, not, fit, not mentally fit to serve. Not mentally fit. And he isn't. And in he's fact, not. He, he's not doing the things. Uh, he He's not making policy decisions. Yep. It's now, here's, one, what Kennedy, here's what Kennedy said about the whole thing. He said, quote, right. he said, debates and town halls are part of the democratic process. We, we are living in a time when there's a lot of Americans who believe our democracy is broken. And I think both political parties have to bend over backwards to start restoring faith in democracy and electional integrity. Now, he says democracy, we believe a constitutional republic, okay? Right, a republic. Yeah. yeah, so, but then he goes on to say, he goes, Americans think the entire system is rigged against them. And if the DNC goes through with this, it's plan not to have debate, I think that will serve an unfortunate confirmation to a lot of Americans that the system is indeed rigged. And so, you know, but that's the thing. They're scared. Of, now, Robert Kennedy's wife, um, I believe Cheryl Hines, Hines, I believe is her name. Yeah. She's she's an actress. She's already being denied roles after he announced. Like within two weeks of him announcing that he's running for president against Biden, all of a sudden now, you know, she's losing roles. They're pulling things back. They're trying to harm his family in order to put pressure on him to keep him from staying in the race. What a surprise. That's the way both sides play this. Oh, absolutely. Look, what what did uh, AOC Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have to say when Tucker Carlson got fired? She said, quote, platform, uh, deplatforming works. And then she went on to muse, but what platform will he come back on? Anyone he wants to come back on. That's right. Oh, absolutely. There are people, believe me, Newsmax is clamor. They'd love to have him. I'm not sure they can afford him. Right. Um, uh, but he could be a, uh, he could be a major, I would probably uh, um, subscribe to Newsmax because it currently it's a subscription service. There are almost no cable companies that are carrying Newsmax. Um, I would probably subscribe and get it on my Roku. Um, mm-hmm. because, uh, it, I, I always tuned in to him. Now, did I always agree with him? No, not always, but for the most nope. part, most, for the most part, he gets the picture. He knows who the bad players are. He knows who the good players are. And he knows, he knows how the game gets played. I think Tucker Carlson, remember I sent you that text and I said, what took him so long when they, what took him so long? That's right. And then I sent you the one on Don Lemon, and I said, hey, what took him so long? Because uh, Don Lemon got fired. The uh, same day, yeah. Uh, the same day. Uh, but I said, uh, Tucker Carlson has known that he was uh, one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel regarding his Fox tenure for months. It's true. And that's because Fox is trying to run to, they want, they want to, quote, unquote, gain respectability by running to the left. 
Well, let's see how yep. that works out. They've already, their stock is, is in the, is in the, in, in serious decline. Um, now, uh, a lot of people are saying, is this the end of Fox news? I always laugh. I go, Murdoch's got more money than, uh, than creases. Um, they'll prop it back up. Um, Fox will not disappear. Uh, but Fox will no longer be seen as the quote unquote conservative network. They will go left. There's no doubt about that. And so where, where will Tucker go? Well, who knows? He may do one of those things where he goes over to rumble, um, starts his own, starts his own channel and, you know, his own podcast and that kind of stuff. Um, because people would go over there and, uh, and, uh, there are people who are encouraging rumble to go to a, uh, a system where, for, uh, where, where you can get free content, but also sign up for premium content. Well, could, can you get, would Carlson, uh, pick and get premium content? Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely. Oh, sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, you know, it's like Bongino. Yeah. Well, did you notice that Bongino got fired on the Friday before Carlson? He didn't get fired. Right. No, he, yeah, they just basically just parted ways. Uh, they basically couldn't come to, couldn't come to a contract. What that means is they lowballed him. And right. And he wasn't taking it. Well, and he, he knows he's worth it. more. Yeah. Knowing full well, he wouldn't take it. They lowballed him. This is the, this is the, uh, what I call the night of the long knives. If you know that term. And yes, you, I do. You know what it's about. It was a, a, a basically, uh, the purge in Germany, uh, in 1930, uh, 33 or 34. Uh, uh, yeah, that Fox news is purging their, uh, the thing, the only reason that people really watch Fox news was for the commentators. Right now, the person who's probably sitting there worried at Fox news right now is Sean Hannity. Oh, oh, Sean, you mean Sean who proudly wears his CIA pin on his lapel? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you and I both talked about Sean Hannity can't be too stupid, but he's not really very smart or strategic thinking. No. Um, now, Chuck, you know, we're talking about this and, and of course the pundits and things, they're all going to find new homes and they're going to all talk about the stuff that they want to talk about. But what we were talking about a little bit earlier, and this is, again, this comes right back around to our theme about second verse, same as the first. I, I saw this article. This is on Fox News, folks, so you can go over there and look at yourself. But there's a big headline on Fox News right now, and it ties back into what you were talking about a little bit earlier, Chuck, and the fact that, you know, we don't learn from history, okay? And the reason why the whole COS thing's bad and the Biden thing's bad and uh, and the stifling debate is bad and not being honest, you know, about where you're coming from is bad and who the real winners and losers, the real, the good guys and the bad guys are. We just had a, a, a situation that came out because the state of North Carolina is through their legislature doing something that the state of Ohio did at the high school level, which was the founding documents uh, requirement that, you know, it's a requirement to teach our nation's history, our, our founding. You know, you and I worked on that together with a lot of other people for years at the state house because the schools just weren't teaching it. You know, they used all the excuses in the, the book, you know, uh, common core, blah, 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 teaching to the test, et cetera. And we had to actually go in and write legislation to require them to 
spend some time in the history classes teaching our founding documents, teaching the basis of the American way of life. And they, we, you know, and of course the, the, um, tenured academics of the world thought that was just horrible. You know, we're stifling intellectual freedom, blah, blah, blah. Right. You're forcing us to do this. You know, it's like, well, you wouldn't have to be forced if you loved the country and realized that a generation upon generation of people should know what their heritage is. They should know the background of what it took to be free, to be called American. Well, that doesn't seem to be, that seems to be rankling a lot of people in North Carolina who are doing the same thing now because North Carolina is doing it a little bit differently. They're requiring their state supported institutions of higher education to teach these founding documents. So what <laughs> happened? So what happened is 673 university professors in the, um, uh, University of North Carolina system signed a public letter yesterday on Tuesday. We're recording this on Wednesday opposing legislation that would require university students to take courses on America's government and founding documents. <laughs> now, first of all, 673 tenured professors at the University of North Carolina. Uh, I think they could probably go on a hiring freeze for a little while. I think they got way too many. But they basically are screaming about it because they are afraid of infringing the university's academic freedom. And some of the quotes in here I want to read, Chuck, because this is hilarious. Okay. So basically, House Bill 96 in, in North Carolina will require students to take a three-credit-hour course covering uh, the required reading of the U.S. Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Emancipation Proclamation, and five essays from the Federalist Papers, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail, and the Gettysburg Address. Now, that doesn't seem like such a, a heavy load. Now, to you, does it to me? Well, you and I having taught classes on virtually all that, no. On virtually all that, it's not hard, okay? But the professors, this is what this is what they're opposing. They say that, quote, that this violates core principles of academic freedom and substitutes ideological force feeding for the, quote, intellectual expertise of faculty. <laughs> so, what are the, so what they're ultimately saying is, we are the gods of this system, and you cannot tell us how to run this this show. And we would rather feed them Marx and a healthy dose of communism and get them to be good little apparatchiks than to actually show them what the, their freedom actually costs them. And, of course, now on the other side, and this is the bill that they really hate, Chuck, because the other bill is House Bill 715 in North Carolina would eliminate tenure. At United, at the University of North Carolina and its affiliated campuses, establish minimum class sizes and require colleges to report, quote, all non-instructional research performed by higher education personnel at the institution, unquote. The gravy train is stopping. Yes, that. That, that's it. Uh, that's what they're using the America, you know, the founding of America documents as the shield front to try to protect all of the monies that they're getting from China and from the CIA and from other places to run these experiments and do these like crazy things that if the general public knew what they were doing, they'd be running them out on a pitchfork. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and just as a, as a, a point of order, do you remember when we got that bill passed in Ohio and it's still on the books and nobody it is. enforces it? Right. If you'll recall, 
they came to us and said, well, if we got the bill, uh, the, the guy who sponsored the bill was willing to gut it just to get it passed so he could say as a fundraiser, yeah, I got this passed. I got it passed. You yeah. and I stood there and said, no chance. Like over our dead bodies. And, it, yeah, and, and you're not and doing it, that. And it passed completely. Well, even even one of the groups that was behind the bill were, were they were seriously contemplating taking the deal, and we're looking. I'm like, you'll never get it if you do that. You're done. You're done. You'll you're, never you're get done. A fight at the apple. They will they will put a ring in your nose, and they will own you for the rest of time immemorial. And finally, they they settled back. They heard what we said and said, okay, well, we're not going to do that. And sure enough, they had to pass the bill as is. And it's 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 out there. It's required now. Are, are it they- is required, and and it's required in the high schools, which we tried to get to the kids before they got to college. Now there is a bill. I think it's House or Senate Bill ninety two. Um, Jerry Serena. We talked about it with uh, Mike O'Reilly on one of our uh, monthly programs. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and basically his bill is similar to seven fifteen about the tenure, and, the, and what they could teach and what they can't teach in the class loads, and he's getting chewed up by the, um, what, what do we call it, the intellectual um, uh, core here. The um, the elite. Uh, the elites here, yes. The intellectual expertise of faculty. That's I love that phrase. Uh, and it's like, okay, well, wait a minute here. If you had expertise and you were doing such a bang-up job, then they wouldn't have to come and say, hey, guys, you're missing something very important here. You know, but the point is, is that they don't want, the upcoming generations to learn about our freedoms. They don't want the upcoming generations to learn about our history and the sacrifices it took to get here. They don't want to learn from history. And that is the biggest tragedy, I think. And if we don't all learn from history, well, you can just be assured that we will fail just as we failed before. And the cycle will continue. All I can tell you is pay attention to it. There's a guy on YouTube named Mark Dice, and occasionally he goes around and asks people. Uh, he'll go to the beach and ask people questions. When uh, who fought in the Civil War, and it's like Britain and Italy, you know that that kind of stuff. Uh, oh my goodness! Yeah, what, what year was World War One? He says 1967. You know that kind of thing. And what you'll get is you'll get people who are young adults when you ask them. If they know what race Alexander Hamilton is, they saw a play and he's black. Okay. That's what you get when you don't teach people American history. That's true. That's exactly what you get. Um, and, and, and those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And how many presidents have there been? Well, like seven or eight. Seriously. Uh, 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 people completely ignorant of their own history. Um, and therefore, and having never read the documents, when you bring it up, that's not in anything. Where did you get that from? I, I've had that before. And you cite the document and it's sort of like, oh, that can't be true. It is. And you should go read it. Well, guess what, Barry? We're out of time. I figured we might. So... You know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And uh, join us again next week for another Principles and Policies, where hopefully Barry will be back with us again. 
Well, uh, the prayers of God's people are, are mighty and effective. Very good. Uh, www.principledpolicy.com. And uh, join us again next week.